0: We all know that technology will play a huge part in the future workplace. But what will be the impact of the automation of traditionally manual tasks across a whole range of industries? What will be the impact of the rise of deep technology like artificial intelligence and the increasing use of robotics? Will the so-called march of the machines mean that millions of people will be out of work? I'm David Lee, and this is the Scotsman podcast series, Future Work, in partnership with Skills Development Scotland's dedicated digital skills and careers website, Digital World. Visit digitalworld.net to become a digital human and fast forward your own professional future. Today in Future Work we're asking, will robots take my job?
1: And automation will basically shape the way we work in the future, with enormous potential for um, increased productivity, which would lead to improved quality of life and higher remuneration. Hopefully, so very few jobs have actually disappeared due to automation. It's all about making the person more efficient at their job. So, robots and autonomous systems are a tool moving forward to help humans be more efficient and effective. So the net impact on jobs and quality of work and quality of life will actually be a positive
2: one.
0: That's Professor Helen Hasty, an expert in the interaction between humans and robots at Heriot-Watt University, and one of the lead academics in developing the National Robotarium at the Heriot-Watt campus in Edinburgh. Statistics support Professor Hasty's argument that robotics, artificial intelligence and automation will mean the future workforce does things differently Not that millions of people will be made redundant by robots. The World Economic Forum estimates that automation will supplant about 85 million jobs globally by 2025, but that the future tech driven economy will create an additional 97 million new jobs, a net gain of 12 million. Rob Huggins of tech recruitment company MBN Solutions thinks robots can actually take humans to a new level with the Internet of Things, or IoT, playing an important role i think in a in a general sense i think about human augmented by machine so i'm talking about things like like voice activation Um, i think industrial iot i think that the the iot devices that we're getting used to having in the home will become way more prevalent in a workplace environment I think about the connectivity that will allow that to happen. You know, is its is it 5G? Is it 6G? Is it 8G? Is it 10G? I think about, about robotics. I think about collaboration. I think about this type of thing. I think about uh, time, space, and distance being in some way negated by technology. And I mentioned that that aspect of human augmented rather than replaced. I think the future of work has humans developing superpowers through the use of machines. Yet other reports of the rise of the robot stick in people's heads, like an Oxford economics study saying up to 20 million manufacturing jobs around the world could be replaced by robots by 2030. Gillian Doherty, Chief Executive at Innovation Centre, the Data Lab, understands why people are concerned.
3: I think there is an undercurrent of fear. I think it's unfortunately perpetuated by you know media and scare stories. Clearly, you know, robotics aren't anything new. If you go to any car manufacturing plant you know, in the last 10, 15 years, you know, they will be very different from what they were 30 or 40 years ago. The work that happens in those plants has changed, so, so people do different jobs than they, they did before. And I think that's what we'll see. We'll see augmentation and difference rather than replacement.
0: Paul Winstanley Stanley is Chief Executive of Census, the innovation centre focused on sensors, imaging and the Internet of Things. He says a world dominated by robots is a fantasy, certainly anytime soon, but that automation is changing the future of work
4: significantly,
0: especially in areas like manufacturing.
4: I don't see us sort of becoming sort of dominated by automation, robotics, and living the life of leisure. You know, that might be the desire of some, but I think that really is uh, a long way away. Your one area where automation has actually had quite a significant effect already is actually manufacturing. You've only got to look at the emergence of CNC machines over the years and what that has actually meant in terms of the the quality of the product, which can be manufactured you know, repeatably, reproducibly, and your manageable unit cost what you've actually seen is you've seen some highly skilled jobs uh, disappear as a consequence of that so prior to my time at census i i did some work for example with a uh, with a gear manufacturer they'd you know they've been around for just over 100 years Uh, they started with a a very highly skilled highly precise very manual uh, factory manufacturing gears Uh, Where they are today is actually they've moved up the value chain in two steps. So they went from gears to gearboxes to mechatronic systems. And so the the front end of that process is now very much an, uh, an automated task. The back end of the process is still a very human task. Helen Hastie agrees that robotics will have a big part to play
0: in industries where they can carry out repetitive tasks.
1: So, for a number of years, uh, we've seen robots and automation in our factories. Uh, obvious example is the automotive industry, electronics as well, pharmaceuticals, packaging. And robots are really useful in this uh, situation because they can be programmed to do tasks repetitively without getting tired, and typically without making mistakes. And so this is really at the moment where we are seeing the majority of robotics and automation. So factories for automotive vehicles um, were one of the first areas that we saw um, automation and this meant that cars could be made cheaper, faster um, and then opened up the market more broadly and so cars could become more widely available. So this was really revolutionary at the time. Well, what we'll see in the near future is the use of artificial intelligence combined with robots that can do more repetitive tasks. So AI can be used to make them more efficient. So examples are companies such as Ocado, who are using optimization algorithms to make the tasks that the automation and robotics do more efficient, more effective, so they can basically pack groceries quicker.
0: Professor Hastie says robots are also increasingly important in carrying out dangerous jobs and that we've seen a greater understanding of this during the coronavirus pandemic.
1: So robots in hazardous environments um, can really have great use. Um, So you can imagine that we can send robots off to inspect wind farms in nuclear environments, decommissioning of oil and gas, search and rescues, bomb disposal, all these areas where we really don't want to send humans. And this is where really where robots can help. And they can help because they can make decisions in these rapidly changing environments and be autonomous and reason for themselves. I think we've seen a bit of a shift in perception during the pandemic. People can see and visualise where robots could be useful. So examples of that are even things like grocery delivery for vulnerable people into their homes. Perhaps even delivery into hospitals and around hospitals or in disinfecting ambulances. So, these are all places where robots could go and be really useful and keep humans safe.
0: Professor Hastie says the potential for the use of robots in broader healthcare environments is also very exciting.
1: So, robotics for healthcare is a rapidly emerging field. Robots can be used for a variety of applications, um, such as rehabilitation. And we're seeing social robots being used um, for mental health and to support elderly and those vulnerable, those self-isolating. So, for example, at Heriot-Watt, we've got a project called Spring, which is all about how robots can interact with the elderly. And in the National Robotarium that's being built currently, we will actually have an assisted living lab where it's basically a flat where we can bring people to come in. And in a natural environment, introduce them to robots and observe how robots should be interacting with people like the elderly and vulnerable. So social robots have unique skills. Um, They can understand how the human is feeling, interpret that and adapt their interaction based on that. So one example is a robotic tutor that understands perhaps when a student is getting frustrated and changes the pedagogical strategy based on that. So social robots are a bit more aware of the humans and how they're feeling and how they're reacting and can adapt to make the interaction more smooth. So social robotics is very challenging, but all areas of robotics um, have their challenges. And to get a robot that is highly cognitively functioning as humans are, can do all the sort of tasks and be adaptive as humans are. And we've still got quite a long way to go before we can see that.
0: So how does Helen Hasty think we can get across the excitement about working in robotics and with robots to those people who might want to try to rise to these challenges?
1: So in the near future, we'll see robots and AI more in our workplaces and in our homes. So the next generation, really need to get excited about robotics and AI and at the moment there's lots of tools out there. There's toolkits for robotics where you can take them apart and put them back together again. There's coding games, so there's lots of um, resources out there to help young people get interested and easily quickly learn about robotics and AI. And this is going to be really, really important to inspire young people um, going forward. So there's a wide range of different robotics that get people excited. Um, So, for example, the Perseverance um, NASA robot that landed on Mars that did autonomous landing, I mean, that was just phenomenal. And so a lot of people are excited about robots in space. Other people are excited about, oh, my granny having a robot and helping her with her groceries. So that goes back to social robots. So there's lots of different areas of robotics that can ping different people. And it's really important to bring in different people from a variety of backgrounds, different age groups, different genders, just really try and portray to them that robotics and AI is really for everybody.
0: So where do you start if you see your future working in a team planning to send a robot to Mars? Or even to another planet?
1: Look online and start doing a bit of coding. Go to any in-person or online STEM activities. There's lots out there, actually. Join any kind of initiatives um, around, even around space and NASA. Check out their website. I know it's very difficult at the moment, but when the National Roboterium opens up next year, early 2022, we're going to have a large outreach programme where we're going to be inviting schools. Um, and people to come in and check out all these different um, robots and interact with them. So we'll have this living lab where people can go in and see where robots might actually fit into their homes, not just robotic vacuums, but robots that can be assistive and can even help people have a better quality of life.
0: And Professor Hastie explains how academia is working with industry and students to find robotic solutions to society's challenges and to create exciting jobs for the future.
1: So we're working in partnership with industry and users, policymakers, to co-create robotic solutions for real problems. So the world-class facilities at the National Robotarium will be where researchers and companies come together to conduct latest R&D research and development in a safe environment before it gets deployed into the real world. So on our roads, in hospitals, in factories, in the ocean, um, for example. So at the Edinburgh Centre of Robotics, which is a joint initiative between Harriet Watt and Edinburgh University, we have a world-class centre for doctoral training. And so students come through the centre, they're trained on fundamental robotics um, and AI, but they're also trained in the softer skills as well as innovation. So we even have innovation seed funds so they can really develop their ideas and hopefully go out and, and start their own companies as well.
0: Professor Hastie says making the most of the potential of robots needs them to develop a real bond with human beings and that this really is challenging.
1: If robots and humans are going to work together and live together, um, there needs to be a trusting relationship. And this can develop in a number of ways. And one of the ways that I'm looking at is interaction. So how can robots portray their intent, what they're doing, the decisions they made? How can they be transparent in a way that helps forge and develop this kind of trusting relationship? So, in order for robots and humans really to work together as a team, so human robot teams, for example, in the workplace, there are lots of challenges around that. So, people and the robots will need to have a common task uh, um, and talk about that task in a common language and to collaborate going forward Um, so these types of um, challenges encompass a wide range of um, different robotic disciplines such as vision being able to see what the other person is doing NLP so understanding what they're talking about bringing all the work that we've been doing over the over the last decade or so um, to really apply that in the workplace so that humans and robots can work together as a team. Speech and dialogue really um, interests me. Um, Sometimes it's hard to understand each other, so how can we possibly get a robot to understand a human, all the different dialects and ways of interacting, and then combining that with the social cues. Um, So how would robots interpret human social cues? That's difficult for some humans as well. So this whole idea of creating an environment where humans can interact as naturally as they would with each other, but with a robot, I think that's, that's really exciting.
0: Paul Stanley thinks that human confidence is crucial in making the most of robotics and automation, and believes we have a long way to go in
4: certain areas. I also think there's, there's an aspect in here in terms of what is, our, what is our acceptability. There's probably two examples I can give which are predate uh, the current pandemic you know, the first one is whenever you get on an aeroplane the aeroplane you know, apart from take off and landing is pretty much autonomous these days but yet as a you know, as a member of the public do I get on an aeropl- would I get on an aeroplane if it were fully autonomous probably not i'd think about it you know, the other you know, the other test before the pandemic i was i was in the the west coast of the states And I had to drive south from San Francisco. And just driving down the freeway, I was surprised by the number of Teslas. And it was probably three or four years since I'd been there previously. And all of a sudden, Teslas had appeared uh, and proliferated in the market. But the number of Tesla drivers, even on a relatively quiet freeway, who were prepared to go hands off the steering wheel and engage the driver aids, were relatively minor. Yeah, it, was, it was a very small percentage of drivers who felt confident. So I think there's other factors. It's not just a technology factor here. It's our confidence and our willingness uh, to embrace that, that, that autonomy. And Paul agrees with Helen Hasty that the key to the future
0: job market is marrying technology, robotics and data with the input of human beings. And he explains how Census is monitoring this. Uh,
4: we've always tracked uh, the jobs we create or the jobs that we retain uh, through the use of technology. So earlier we were talking about that balance of the loss of jobs versus the creation. And so we put an awful lot of effort in in tracking what are the consequences of our interventions in in the job market. So, and that's something we will continue to do. I say, it's an an area of, of increased focus for us right now. I'm a big fan of using autonomous techniques to actually uh, really direct uh, and best use, you best utilize human intervention. You, wh- where we've evolved to uh, is actually we're not good at dealing with, we're not de- good at dealing with mass and you know, the volume of data. What we what we're really very good at doing is being able to see the nuance in that data. And you, you, there's a number of examples I, I can think about. You, the discussion that's running at the moment within the police forces about facial recognition humans are still way better at identifying a person uh, than a than a machine is and so where we can actually sort of use autonomy is actually to sift that data and get to a point where we we need a human to make a, a decision is it turn left or is it turn right ironically the machines are generally poorer at making that those nuanced uh, decisions so I think it's actually it's, it's a hybrid uh, between the two. and I think you have the other aspect where the human intervention is really important is actually in bringing together those silos, bringing together those data sets, so we can gain more incisive analysis of that data. So a data silo in its own right generally has got quite limited value. And again, that's probably a controversial point. People tend to view data. Uh, more and more as a a valuable commodity. Generally, as a standalone silo, it's not. It's only when you begin to put it together with other data sets that you, you get true value from it. And again, that's a human enterprise, that's a human activity.
0: This is a point made very strongly in a recent report by Forbes, which listed eight key skills for the future of work, many of which do not rely on technology, including entrepreneurship and empathy, rapport and relationships, and imagination. Back at the data lab, Gillian Doherty thinks this blend of technical ability alongside the human skills identified in the Forbes report will be fundamental to how the next generation experiences the world of work.
3: I think what's really interesting is they are all skills that humans are much, much better at than computers or AI or robotics. They are inherent human skills and they are things we've honed over the thousands of years uh, and that was really interesting in terms of they're the critical skills that that humans have that we can't yet see in robotics and AI and technology and they're the critical skills to make things work you know the the empathy the creativity the teamwork all of those things are massively important and they are the things certainly when I talk to my daughter Charlie You know, to think about how she develops those things, uh, because that's what will, I guess, drive her future opportunities is, is her strength in those areas, not necessarily how good she can code.
0: Claire Gillespie, who leads on Technologies for Skills Development Scotland, thinks the future of work is bright by using robotics appropriately alongside human beings.
2: So I can absolutely see why people are concerned about AI and technology and robots taking over, you know, Scottish jobs. And, and I think that's something we need to be aware of, and people need to think about the impact on their own job and be willing to retrain and be willing to look at the range of career options. But I, I, I think there's a massive opportunity for us to work together. And I go back to those skills of being, those human skills of being, you know, having empathy. And, and actually, I, I think there's a lot of job roles where. Maybe in the future we'll have robots and AI doing it, but I'm not ready for an AI doctor. I'm not ready for an AI lawyer. There's certain places where I need to see that human interaction. And I don't think that'll change anytime soon. So, you know, something SDS says a lot is the future is human and, and I absolutely believe that. Um, technology is a big part of it. But at the end of the day, you know, humans create the technology, it's us to control kind of how far that goes. And, and I think we need to keep humans very much at the center of this.
0: Thanks for listening to the third episode in our six-part series, Future Work, brought to you by the Scotsman and Skills Development Scotland's dedicated digital skills and careers website, Digital World. Remember to visit digitalworld.net to become a digital human and fast forward your own professional future. Future Work is presented by me, David Lee, and produced by Morvan McIntyre.